All right. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's politics and parenting where we talk about politics and we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jeff. How are you? I am good. I am. I'm less tired this week. Uh, we, I, we skipped church this morning. I let my wife sleep in. Uh, I watched uh, it on, I watched it online. You know, I just didn't get up and go to service this morning. It's just not the same <laughs> when you're not in person, but you know, um, so how was your week? It was good. Uh, now that school's back in session and I've kind of got a schedule, I'm feeling much more relaxed and I basically got my big beginning of the year projects out of the way. So now I've got a lot more time to focus and, um, you know, not uh, run around like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> yeah, How was works. your week? Uh, so my week was good. I'm like, uh, I think I've mentioned I'm reading Don Quixote with Julia. Um, and it's taken me longer than normal because I've been so busy. And uh, she is, she beat me. She finished the book this week. And I, I I think when she finished the book, I had 450 pages left. <laughs> That's because you're reading it in the original Spanish, right? And she's just reading a translation. No, we're both reading in translation. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. Like it's such a it's such an amazing book. Um, and there was one line I want to share with you real quick that I read tonight. Um, and she, uh, you know, Julia's really happy because she beat me. I don't know where she got the competitive spirit from. It couldn't <laughs> have been her brother. Um, and this is a uh, this is from uh, Don Quixote, and he's talking. He, he's just like this really fascinating character who's kind of like a buffoon, but he's also an intellectual and maybe he's virtuous or maybe he's just out for fame. Who knows yet? So when you read with your daughter, are you trying to like stay in sync or are you just trying to both read the same book and you kind of you share uh, fun ideas and things that came across as you were reading it? Um, so we we were in sync about halfway through the book, um, and then when we got to the back half of the book, she just powered through it. And Dad's just got a lot of responsibility and work, and he wasn't able to keep up. Um, we like to talk about it chapter by chapter, or just group chapters, maybe fifty, hundred pages at a time. Um, she she texts me, she's like, uh, "Hurry up and finish, because I want to talk about it." <laughs> That's good for good for her. So, uh, what were you doing on Saturday to celebrate the Constitution Day? So on Saturday, that brings up our first topic, right? The Constitution. Um, so Saturday, I spent all day writing about the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an article. It's called We the People, Not We the Party, where um, I kind of begin to outline some of the problems that we face with our, our current system, right? Um, and, you know, I talk about how our Constitution is designed to balance power um, and how We've had some things that have gone wrong that have tipped the balance of power and it's thrown that off and it's actually shifted power from the people to the parties. Um, and, and that's kind of, you know, the we the people is like the beginning of that. And then I have another one that's going to be coming out. And it's called End uh, to the Republic. And that really focuses on the, you know, the house and the purpose of the house, how it's, it's derived to bring power as close to people as possible. And how it has, you know, because it's been capped, that power has shrunk and it's been captured, essentially. It's been put in the hands of, of small, you know, a group of elites, right? You know, you know, who, who are they? Who knows, right? But it's the party. It's the, it's the consultants. It's like just a group of people that make money off the elections, realistically. And they're the ones that kind of make the decisions on what's going on. 
Yeah, one thing that I've been thinking about uh, as you're talking about this is, you know, like the Senate and the House really kind of work hand in hand in terms of passing legislatures. Like we had the Inflation Reduction Act and um, they had to twist uh, Manchin's arm for a long time in order to get him to agree to something so they get the 50 votes. But I, I, I would imagine that once you took a lot of the pressure out of the House and it, it became, in a certain sense, perhaps less partisan because you have more people and sort of more things moving around, a lot more moving pieces, harder to control uh, in a positive way. I, I would bet that the Senate itself, too, would also kind of regain some of its former glory of, of long-term debate and really trying to f- um, flesh things out rather than trying to ram bills through and using the, the you know the arcane rules that people complain about, like the filibuster, if those would be uh, more practical in a, in a Senate that um, had a, a more raucous house on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, and and that's part of the series that we're going to write, right? So the first one was just an introduction. The second one's we focus on the Republican form of our government. But uh, at at some point, we need to talk about the se- the Seventeenth Amendment, right? And mm-hmm. and the senators and how they're supposed to be elected and what their purpose is. Because and I I lay this out in the first article. If if the 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 powers are divided into to four realistically, but three main powers that kind of write the rules that we live in. And that is the House, which is the people, the Senate, which is the state, and the executive, which is the federal branch. And when it becomes more about red and blue and lining those powers up together to get something done, as opposed to, you know, having a discussion in each branch representing the branch, you know, the power they're supposed to represent, um, and having a a conversation about it and deciding things and coming to um, conclusions or you know compromises on situations as opposed to just hey you have to beat the other guy we've got to mm-hmm. it, it's red versus blue all the time you know and that's uh it's really dangerous right it's it's kind of what our founders were afraid of a republic if you can keep it right, right. and and ben was talking about how it, back then the way they perceived it they were afraid that power would be concentrated into a small group because that's mm-hmm. what happened at rome and um you know, Madison gave that. That's what our house is. <laughs> that it was. It was. That was the counterbalance. That is is a large house to spread the power out. Um, it was hotly debated in the federal uh, convention about the representation ratios, um, and they never really came to like a concrete conclusion. We've talked about it before on the show about how the First Amendment was supposed to be Article the First, which was a continuing expansion of the house. Um, but realistically, I think Madison and the founders didn't know what the future held, and they, they wrote about it. They said, hey, focus on it, you know, reevaluate the representation and reappropriate, you know, going forward on a 10-year basis. And then we just stopped, right? Mm-hmm. We just stopped. Power started to be concentrated, and that allowed for the political parties really to take control. Um, and that's been a problem. Yeah, and if you want to take a charitable look at it, I mean— they tinkered with it when they capped it at 435, but now we see how that it has not not uh, been positive, and so it's now our turn to to retinker with it and and uncap it, and bring it back to at least 870 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important, um, you know, to just to get the communication going to spread the power out. I mean, if you think about it, like think about it like a private business, right? If you close the amount of people that can enter the business or a close number of slots, right, at 435. You have a small market. Um, mm-hmm. If you open that market up, you're going to have new ideas that are going to be able to enter. Um, 
new money can be created, right? Because they can go in and work hard from the ground up and build something. But if you try to go in into a closed market where there's two big businesses already like have written, you know, election laws and everything, you have to come in like a big business. You have to fundraise and you have to have a lot of money. And really what you're doing is you're just shaping a party to be like the other parties. You're not allowing new ideas in. And that's why I think it's really important that we we open it up. We, you know, we're a capitalist society. We believe in free markets. We believe in competition. And we had a competitive party system until we capped the house. And I think that's what we need to do moving forward. One of the interesting things reading about Madison after when he goes to the house, um, after the first session of Congress, you know, he, he really is considered about or is considered about how do you improve the Constitution? Because like, he, you know, they've basically on day one, they're like, oh, yeah, there's certain things that weren't quite fleshed out. And I think that's one of the beauties of the document is that it is extensible and it is flexible enough that you can you can make amendments to it and you can improve it um, as we've done for a number of situations. And um, you might argue have not uh, not been so successful in amending it and fixing it. Yeah, I mean, that amendment process is both a blessing and a curse, right? Because generation, future generations have the ability to govern themselves and write new rules of problems that arise that, you know, past generations wouldn't be able to see. But they also have the ability to write bad ones. And, you know, like we talked about before with just a minute ago, the 17th Amendment, but we also have, which one was it that banned alcohol, right? Like that was a constitutional amendment, right? Uh, that- Prohibition. Prohibition, I want to, is that the 20th? And then the 21st is the one that repeals it? Yeah, I mean, think about how ridiculous that was. Like, it, we, like, shot ourselves in the foot. Like, we have repealed it just a few years later. Um, but, it, you know, it was it was Congress wielding power when they shouldn't have been wielding power, realistically. It's crazy that they were able to get that many um, states to approve it, in, in my eyes. But, again, I didn't live through the time, so it's hard to say. Um but, you know, it, it's stuff like that. It's good and it's bad. Um, the civil rights movement obviously is a plus. That's, you know, I talk about that a very briefly, kind of hint at it really is, you know, during the debate of the federal convention, a lot of the southern states were like, they were just so focused on keeping slavery. Mm-hmm. And what that allowed is Madison and others to create mechanisms within the government that, you know, knowing that they'd make the compromise to keep slavery in the South. They would they would leave those mechanisms in the body so future generations could undo that. Right. Um, write those wrongs and, and, and write those wrongs with the amendment process and other things that they did. And so that's, you know, like I said, a blessing and unfortunately a curse as well. Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, it goes back to uh, the sort of that, that fight about representation and, and making sure that the, the we, the people have our voice heard throughout all this. Otherwise, um, we and I, you know what, I think we talk about the 21st Amendment, like that is we the people being like, you know what, as you said, it, it went, it they got um, three quarters of the states to approve it. So there was there was definitely organization efforts. There was definitely people saying that um, there were problems around alcohol. And it, it, it's, it's funny that that's kind of the, the constitutional amendment is the tool in order to try to fix whatever societal ills. But it is kind of, you know, it's this form of social engineering that definitely didn't go the right way. Um, and you know, the, the speed in which it was repealed, I think speaks to how it wasn't able to solve that. And, and I would say even, you know, not just the fact that it didn't perhaps solve alcoholism, but it gave rise to all the organized crime and the bootleggers because people still were going to try to get it, uh, get alcohol, no matter 
whatever way they could. Yeah, I mean, it's back to that analogy I think we used on the show a few weeks ago where it's like you're in a boat and there's like a whole bunch of holes and you put your hand over one and another one springs out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, Congress's job realistically, you know, it's to listen to their people, to inform them. And then when they make decisions, they got to think like now and in the future, you know, uh, not yes. just what benefits us now. <laughs> well, I'm going back to kind of a local issue, like there is the whole transgender policy in Virginia that the state legislature approved a couple of years ago. And so the North administration wrote a bunch of model policies through the Virginia Department of Education. And now one year later, uh, this past Friday, the Yunkin administration basically rewrote all the policies under the same statute. So, you know, it goes back to like when you write your statutes and you write your, your laws, like you, you really kind of want them to be uh, pretty tight if you're trying to do something um, and to make change. Otherwise people just, it's like a, those balloons you fill with water and then you squeeze it. Like the water just goes out another way and um, you, you can't contain it unless you pop the balloon and then you're stuck. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, yes and no. I mean, you do want to write your laws so they're, you know, they're they're clean and and not can be undone that easily. But at the same time, you want to persuade enough people in your state to to agree with the law and to not want to overturn it. And and again, this goes back to the the red and blue thing because it really doesn't matter what the laws are, right? Like regular people aren't reading them; they're just listening to the politicians, what the politicians tell us. And realistically, they're just fighting over wins, wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And you know, their congrat, their legislative battles that they play, you know, they could really care care less of how they go. If they win one, they use it to get reelected. If they lose one, they use it to get reelected, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it doesn't matter to them. It's just about creating the fight. And you know, it goes back to the idea that our government is is our our constitution balances power, but it also offers a communication device from regular citizens to power and it funnels, funnels it up. And uh, that leads us into our second topic for today, John, which is communication. Now we have we in, in our local area, we have a uh, district race going on, VA-10, Jennifer Wexton and Hung Cow. And then nationally, right, is kind of like what we're doing. We're starting a party, although we're not a party, we're a faction. But we have the forward party that is, um, you know, trying to ramp up and, and grow. So we're going to just take a look here at the um, the websites and see what are Republicans, Democrats, and you know, independents, forward party members, what are they telling the people? And so when you, uh, you go to Hung Cow's website, the first thing you'll notice, he's got a beautiful family, okay? He's got his logo in the top left, policies, events, and store. He's selling merchandise. Got it. Mm-hmm. To the top right, you've got the donate button. And in the middle underneath his family, he's got sign up for uh, updates. So what is he telling you right off the bat? He's telling you, I want you to give me money, I want you to buy stuff from me, and I want you to give me your information. So we move to Wexton's website here. Now, Wexton is just a singular picture of herself on the left side of the screen. Now, at the top right, you've got the same donate button. You've got a store link. And if you scroll down just a little bit, you've got that email sign up, yard side request, and a join the campaign email. So what is she telling us? She's telling us, I want your money, I want your information, and I want you to buy something from me. Now she's got an issues tab, just like um, Hung does, but it's, you know, 
it's not the first thing on the uh, on the website. Then we go to the forward party, the new party entering the closed system, but they have a lot of obstacles to overcome, right? Because they've got to be able to get their message out and they have to fight legislative battles to get on the ballots. Because remember, the Republican and Democratic Party are basically like a monopoly. They've written mm -hmm. rules to keep out new parties. So they have to raise money. So what does their, for their website look like? Well, first, it's got great graphics, okay? Better than the, the last two. There's professional... Uh, graphic designers working for the forward party. So it's very eye appealing. But we noticed some similarities. At the top right, there's a donate button. Next to that, there's a merch button. So what do they want? They want you to give them money and they want to sell you things. And then when you scroll down, there's your information to sign up for, uh, for future events and whatnot. They want your information. Now, I know that there's going to be pushback. You got to collect information to get your message out. I understand that. But the similarities between these websites show there's really no difference, right? It's like, it's a matter of communication. What are they telling us? And they're telling us the same thing. Um, what do you think, John? Well, I would say that they're not communicating much because there's not a lot to each of the websites. Um, and I would say that it's probably going to go to like the, you got a, a website consultant that comes in and says, well, you want your issues page with little pictures and little blurbs. You want your store because that's how you can, you know, get money. Uh, you can sell your yard signs, which I think is such a, a, a perverse incentive where instead of giving out the yard signs to as many people as possible, you're trying to milk your strongest supporters for more cash so, so that you can uh, uh, spend it on more consultants um, or bump, you know, even sound like bumper stickers and stuff. Like it's again, like, it's just, it, it's the wrong message. Like, I, you know, as much as you um, don't perhaps agree or like this, but I, I mean, like a campaign is a, a, a marketing event. And, um, you know, if you're not getting your name out there and in front of many people as it is in this environment, I, you know, you're you're not doing it right. So the fact that, that you use the store as a way to, to fundraise rather than to get your message out there, I think is, is another uh, wrong way to, to run a campaign. And... Well, I mean, look, I understand it's a marketing event, right? Like I get it. Like, you know, people would talk to me about like, Jeff, you're not playing the game. And, you know, I would say it's not a game. It's our lives, right? These are really important things that we should be discussing, but it's not that I mind if they're playing the game, right? Like you can market. I like, I'd probably buy some of the Ford merchandise, you know, if I was a supporter. It's cool looking. You know, I'm not opposed to supporting thing, ideas that I like. Promise they're doing ideas. They, they're not even like doing their job right, right? So both on both Hung Cow and Jennifer Rexton's sites under the issues, they both have education. They're running for federal office. Education is a state issue. Why talk about Why are they like campaigning on this? So other thing like i don't know uncapping the house that are more important and their actual responsibility yet they they choose to talk about education again the people in charge are kind of like the authority figure they're like our parents right what mm -hmm. they talk about and what they say shapes us the voters and the citizens and so they're shaping us incorrectly they're they're teaching us wrong just like if the parents were like you know teaching your kid to curse at the waitress or whatever you know not it's pretty random 
<laughs> analogy, but no, but it, but it's like know, treating it, people with respect and trying to make things better. Right. That's right. Tell us the truth, right? Like, it, it, you know, I want your money. I want your information. And here are my ideas to fix the federal government. By the way, education is not part of the like really supposed to be part of the federal government. Let's not make it. And I think this is a mistake by Republicans to even dive into this. Right. Is like I think the Democrats want to make it part of the federal government, which I would be very against. And simply by like having the conversation, Republicans are kind of opening that door. And I think it's a big mistake. Um, you know, you're allowing the other side, right? The one that you're trying to beat, because it's not really about getting policies done. It's about winning office. It's they about tell winning, you all the yeah. time. Yeah. And and so there's two types of winning. There's winning the office now, or they're shaping the conversation to win the the ideas later. And I think, you know, uh, you got to plan for both, I guess, but no, it's frustrating. Somebody I mean, this is, yeah. um, I'm, I'm working on a piece right now, kind of just about like trusting the process. And I think there's one thing, there's one nit I have when people talk about the election and like election integrity. And it's just kind of like, why do you even vote if you can't trust the elections? I mean, um, if you're running for office and say, we, we can't election integrity is important and we can't trust our elections. Like, what's the point? It's like saying, I need my car to go to work, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get to work because I don't trust the car is going to get there. Like it's, it's just sort of a, a total emotional appeal. Um, and I think part of, you can look at history and you can say like, there's obviously examples of voter fraud. There's kind of corruption in the, in the sense of um, uh, the machines and, and trying to do whatever net steps necessary to get people to turn out to vote. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to, you, you need to trust the results and I mean, you could look at it at previous big elections where you've got like Ronald Reagan. Um, I think someone was saying like there, at the time when Reagan was running for his first election, maybe the second election, there was like 40% of the United States was uh, a Democrat and like 25% were Republicans. But he ended up getting, he ended up having a huge electoral college landslide. So like there's a lot of people there that you can appeal to and you can reach out to. But instead, politics kind of becomes a zero sum, almost like World War One, you know, like World War One. You've got two sides fighting over the same hundred yards and a big, uh, a big mud pit, and you go one side raise, uh, runs an offensive, uh, gets that hundred yards, gets a couple trenches, and then the next day the other side comes and wins it back, and you just you're stuck fighting in the mud and you're not making any progress, and in the meantime you're just you're just losing lives, and you know thankfully with politics we're not losing lives, but we're we're not making things better and we're we're stuck in the status quo where, where everyone recognizes that it's bad. But um, nothing really is getting any better. Yeah, but you know who is benefiting though, the the people in Congress, mm -hmm. right? Because there's what there's like fifty people in Congress that are worth over ten million dollars now. When they make a salary of under two hundred thousand dollars a year, that's a lot. And the people who run the elections, the consultants, mm -hmm. right? So they don't really care if it's two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward and two steps back, yeah. as long as they're making money. That's right. right. As long as the checks cash and then they and, can. And, uh, and every election website has a donate button and a merch button. Every single one of them, Republican or Democrat. But like I, what I tell my kids, like when you're trying to solve problems, look for the commonalities and then look for the differences. Right. Where are the Republicans and Democrats the same and where are they different? They're not really different, are they? No, not in <laughs> tactics. And like you said, with education, not really in ideas, because both sides would be like, well, we want the best education uh, 
but then there, you know it all comes down to the particulars and that no one really t- no one talks about the particulars until after they've uh, voted for the bill and it's been um, well what they codified. What what they're saying is we want control over it. We want to be able to write the rules before you can write the rules. And then we don't want you to rewrite the rules, mm-hmm. but they just, they don't do a good enough job. They don't, they don't know how the system is supposed to work because, you know, they just write laws. They don't write constitutional amendments either. So they're kind of easy to undo as well. Yeah. All right, John, what do you think? It was a good episode. It was a good episode. Yeah. I like it. So uh, we've got to start promoting our like ourselves, John. So a few hey, things Jeff, that we I should, like... we should sell merch. We should sell merch. Yeah, we should sell merch. So uh, a few things I wanted to say real quick is I noticed that we've had a we have a pretty good podcast following. Have you noticed that? Like we're getting yeah. we're getting like twenty people listening to us a, an episode, which in my opinion is good. We had fifty six people listen to the. Uh, our episode number five, so that's huge. So for all those people, thank you so much for listening and share and sharing as well. That was very kind of you. Um, I think we need more of that. We need like to engage our audience a little bit more. Um, so if you have maybe some ideas for John and I to talk about, reach out, shoot us an email, find us on Twitter. Um, what are some other things that we got to do, John? Oh, uh, I think we need to lean more on the social media side. So I think one of our ideas is to um, pull out some clips from these podcasts so that we can post them online, make it easier to share, uh, which is one thing we learned when we did this Matt Lewis and uh, how to be a pundit class at the Leadership Institute yes. um, with your friend Stephen. Really, yeah, that was a really good class. I remember that. And you know what? I tried to do that last week, but um, I'm technology challenged if there's anybody out there who wants to help that that'd be great yeah if only you an it it guy to help you uh yeah you you were busy the first week of school i didn't want to bother you (laughs) but yeah no that was a great class um i think we learned a lot um matt and matt lewis is a writer for the daily beast he's got a podcast as well stephen kent has a book out uh how the force can fix the world it's fantastic go read it um and they put on a fantastic class to kind of detail writing how to build a social media following how to build a Substack, which we're doing as well. Um, so yeah, check it out. I think you were did you you mentioned uh, one of Matt's recent pods earlier? Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm addicted to his podcast. I'm a little bit behind, but it, there's one that I've been listening to right now. With um, pull it up right now, so I get the name right. With a uh, Ibu Patel and then a Why It's Better to Build Than to Destroy, and um, it's just fascinating because it's a guy who he was he self described on the, the center left. Uh, and I would say I'm kind of self-described more of the center right, but it, it's talking about like you, you've got great institutions. And so he and Matt kind of have a nice, um, uh, where I just left off, they're talking about little league and how, um, there's, it's just all this volunteer work that people put together in order for their kids to play baseball. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a, it's an amazing institution. Um, and it's kind of, you know, people really care. And so they, they're going to put the time and effort in in order to provide a, a service that they're not getting paid for. And in fact, cost them money because they got to buy uniforms. And, um, and you know, that reminds me back when I was coaching T-ball for my son, um, like it's, it's a really great, it's an opportunity to help your community and, uh, you know, really shape the boys. Yeah. And, uh, Matt's podcast is great. He, they always have, he always has fantastic guests and just civil conversation, which, you know, there's no yelling and screaming, just like mm-hmm. fresh ideas, civil debate. It's wonderful. Um, so what else we got going on? So we're going to dive into this merch thing, aren't we? So mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, I own a small business and I print t-shirts for a living. 
Um, I've created uh, three different designs that we're going to sell to help uh, promote the podcast, Politics and Parenting, uh, help, you know, we'll make a little bit of money off of it. And, you know, like they say, it's not, a, I, I say it's not a game. They say it's a business, right? They're in it to make money. So if we want our ideas to get out there, I guess we got to play their game, play their business just a little bit. Help us out. Um, I, I have a small business local to Manassas. Uh, the money goes to my business and then will come to us. Uh, part of it will come to us. Um, so it's going to help me double. Sorry, John. Uh, I hate mm. to say that. But it's going to help my employees, right? I employ people from the, the community. Um, we've been around for 15 years. They're great people. They work hard. Uh, they like the ideas. Hopefully you like the t-shirts. They're pretty cool. We've got a Y435 shirt. We've got a and to the Republic shirt. And we've got a ambition must be made to counteract ambition, James Madison shirt. So check it out. We'll put it uh, the link in this website or in this uh, Substack uh, when we post it as well. And then, you know, we encourage everybody to be part of the conversation. If you have ideas and you want to be on the podcast, reach out, let us know. If you want to write on our politics and parenting, you're local to the Northern Virginia area, you've got some good things to talk about. Hit us up. Let's maybe have a conversation. Let's share your story, share your perspective with people. Um, remember, it's our government is about balancing power, and it's about creating an opportunity for everybody to be heard. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're trying to create an opportunity for people to be heard. So, yeah. What do you think, John? I think it's great. I'm looking forward to getting my uh, In the Republic for Which It Stands t-shirt. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. All right. Peace and love.